Hello, my friends. Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 28, Michelle Pettinato. Before we get into Michelle's amazing background, we're 28 episodes in. Have you left a review on Apple Podcasts yet? If the answer is no, take a few moments right now, hit the pause button, head on over, and tell me about your favorite episode. Because remember, every single review helps. That helps get this podcast out there more, aware of like how amazing it is, all these guests that we've had, Frank Turner, Ali Moss, Jared Reddick, Keith Jeffries, the list goes on. So just take a few moments, leave us a review, because believe me, every single one helps. Now, Michelle has been a professional sound engineer for 30 years. The amount of artists she's worked with, Gwen Stefani, Goo Goo Dolls, Melissa Etheridge, Jewel, Indigo Girls, Elvis Costello. Her first tour was with the Spin Doctors in 1992. She has had a phenomenal journey and her story is amazing because it just breaks the notion that you have to live in a music city, that you have to be there. She's defying it, she's doing it well, and she's helping others achieve better mixes with their sound. So if they want to start doing it, they can. So enough of me <laughs> hammering on. We're going to jump into it. Episode number 28, Michelle Petnato. I'm excited because you're a Pennsylvanian. As soon as we started, I was like, where are you from? And you were like, Scranton. I was like, oh, can we talk about the myth of you've got to be in a music city? Ugh. But before we get into all that jazz, I want to know, you know, how did you get into, you know, so you do a lot of mixing, a lot of engineering, but th that process to me is fascinating how you get into it. What was, when you were growing up, did you play any instruments or what was kind of the, that kind of segue into that world? Yeah. So I I live in Scranton uh, now. I, I've lived here for about 30 years, but I grew up in um, about as far away from the music business as you could get. I grew up in this tiny little coal town in East Central PA, a population of about 4,000 people. So, <laughs> and, and honestly, um, how I ended up with, you know, where the desire to, to work in music and, and audio production came from, I have no idea because no one in my family was in the music business even remotely. I didn't know anyone in the business. Um, no one was musical. Um, I started playing piano when I was a little kid and I took lessons all through high school, but like there was just no connection to anyone in the industry. And it was kind of one of those things where music was always really important to me. Like it was my passion. There was always music on at the house, you know, records, radio. Um, my mom had a really eclectic radio, a record collection of everything from, you know, Elvis to John Denver to Kiss to Bach and Beethoven. <laughs> I mean, it was just <laughs> a little bit of everything. And I was just, you know, always immersed in it, just playing records and listening to all different kinds of music. And, um, and music was kind of my escape growing up, you know, like it was just where things got bad. I'd go to my room and just, you know, put my headphones on and listen and just kind of lose myself in it. So it was always just there in my life. And, I think it was somewhere in high school, you know, where you're trying to figure out what am I going to do when I grow up, you know, and um, I just, I, I didn't, it was like a one day, like a, a light bulb went off, and, you know, I wanted to be part of music, but I didn't want to be a performer. Like I, I played piano, but I just no way wanted to be on stage. Like I, I played for my church choir and the school chorus and stuff like that. And in situations mm -hmm. where I wasn't the, the, the focal point, I was fine, but like I could never just get up there and be like, oh, I'm going to do a piano solo. You know, it was just like, <laughs> no, I don't want the spotlight at all. But 
I remember, um, you know, listening, like when I was a teenager, listening to, it was two crucial records, uh, Queen, uh, Night at the Opera and A Day at the Races. And I remember just like listening to those in my headphones, laying in bed thinking, how on earth did they make this? How did they make this sound like this? I mean, it sounds enormous and it's just four guys and, you know, their records always said no synthesizers. And I'm like, well, how did they create these sounds? And it was fascinating to me. So somewhere in high school, I kind of, I figured out, well, you know, like every record I had, I would always read the liner notes. This is back in the days of like vinyl albums. And every Mm -hmm. record had this person called a recording engineer. And I didn't know what that was, but I knew they had to be important because they're on every single record. So I was just like, I'm going to be a recording engineer. I don't know what that is, but that's what I'm going to do. And then, you know, I kind of looked into it and it was like, oh, these are the people who actually record the music. And I thought, this is a way for me to be creatively involved with making music, but not have to be the performer, the musician. And that's kind of what started me down that path. But I mean, growing up in the tiny town that I did, when I told people I was going to be a recording engineer, they're like, you're going to be a DJ? I'm like, no, I'm not going to spin <laughs> records. I want to make records. And no one understood what that meant. You know, they, this was the yeah. 80s. And you, you know, you grew up, if you were a, a girl, you grew up, got married, started a family. And if you wanted a job, you worked at the mall. You know? <laughs> and if you were a guy, you, you, you worked at a plant or a factory. You know, that was it. Like, that was the, the end of opportunity for that area. So it was, it was a coal mining town, a lot of old, hardworking coal mining people, and, and no one really got my dream. So That right there is, you know, all, everything that you said was super interesting because I feel you listening to records. And as you said, there were so many Elvis, uh, you know, Bach, Kiss, the sonic palette in which you were given was all over the place and it's just that to me is because then you're you know and you probably too you agree when you're a teenager i feel like those are influential years of when you're listening to music because it's like it's your thing it's like you absorb it completely and that kind of gave you a palette of oh you know this sonic texture what is this yeah and it's just like how can you create this and to you know growing in a small town to then be like, well, this is what it is. But then you kind of go like, but what if it's something else? What if I can do something else other than these two things that you're giving me right now? Right. Yeah. And and that was, you know, like I first I started looking into because I was also the first in my uh, family to have the opportunity to go to college. And you know, and I was, you know, really smart in high school. Like I was in the honor society and all that and always, you know, the best grades. And so my, my mother was convinced I was going to go be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. <laughs> I was just like, no, <laughs> going in the music business. So that was a huge, huge battle. And, um, you know, it would basically became like everyone, you know, I had no support from anybody. I had my friends thought I was crazy. Um, my, my, teachers in high school, my music teacher was like, well, why don't you go into music therapy? I'm like, because I don't want to be a therapist. I want to be a, you know, <laughs> I want to work, make records. My, um, you know, guidance counselors, everybody was just like, you can't do that. You know, that's not a real job. It's not a real career. So I went to college for a year majoring in music and I had one music class the whole year. And I'm like, this is not going to get me what I, it's not going to teach me what I need to know here. I'm not going to get where I want to be. So I found a little school in Ohio the recording workshop and they taught like a, a very basic recording engineering program. It was about a month long and um, I went there. And so after that, and it was great, you know, like it was a lot of hands on and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I learned the basics cause I, I was coming from knowing nothing. So I got a, you know, fairly decent grip on what goes on in the studio. But from there um, I went to work at a radio station 
for a bit. And um, then I had a cousin who was living in Nashville and she invited me to come down there to stay with her and try and get a job. So I took a bus to Nashville and spent three weeks walking around Music Row and just knocking on every single studio door I could find and, and asking for a job and handing out my little tiny resume of the recording workshop in WMGH and just being like, <laughs> no clue that I still had no idea what I was doing or, or how to get into the business. And, you know, and everywhere I went, they're like, well, we're really not hiring. So I just realized I'm, I still don't know enough. I don't know how to get into this business. I don't really understand how it works. And I went back home. And shortly after that, I, I, I heard a full sale in Florida, full sale. And, um, I enrolled there. And it was when I was in full sale that I switched from from recording engineering to live sound because it never even occurred to me, even though I'd gone to tons of concerts, that you could actually mix music on tour, you know, like I, that never yeah. even occurred that it was a job. So when I took my live sound course, I was just like, oh, wait, so I get I could get paid to mix music and travel the world. <laughs> you know, it was just like, <laughs> this is a done deal. I mean, this is me. Like, that's what I all that I've ever wanted to do. So but like when I got to full sale, it was funny because every like everyone in my life up to that point was just like, this is crazy. This is a crazy idea. You need to get a real job. You need to go back to school and you know, get a degree and when I got to Full Sail, um, it was the first time people were actually like, yeah, you can do this. And I, I felt like I had the support of a community of people who were like, it's not crazy. This is, you know, what we do. And this is how we can help you get there. And yeah. it was great, you know. And um, I immediately after I graduated, I started working at a little sound company. And um, now, and, you know, it is kind of, you do have to kind of live where there's work. So that's the one thing where I couldn't move back home because there was no... There was no live sound industry. There was no studios. There yeah. was no work in music whatsoever. So I, I worked in um, Philly for a while. And um, after that, I moved back to Florida and I worked at a bunch of nightclubs. And I, you know, at one point I had like three jobs. I was working in two different, uh, like a nightclub and an entertainment facility and um, for a, a local sound company. I was just basically taking every job I could get in audio. Um, and I knew like eventually I wanted to get on tour, but until that, you know, I'm just going to do any job in audio that I can do till, you know, to keep learning and, and gaining some skills. That early, if I can backtrack to when you were in Ohio mm -hmm. and you were doing that, what kept you going to when, you know, you had counselors, you had you know, teachers, family, they were just like, you can't do this. What kept that going? Because I feel some people, when they're met when the, with that opposition, it kind of gets to them. It kind of like eats away where eventually that thing that's the spark, th that dwindles out because they're met with such resistance. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's hard. I think it's two things. It's one, like this was a passion and it was so deeply ingrained in me. Like music was like, I have to do something with music. This was... You know, yeah. from a young age, it was a, a very strong passion. But the other thing was, I kind of had the attitude when people said, you can't do this, I would just be like, well, watch me. You know, It was just kind of a little bit of a cockiness as, uh, and like, this was my driving passion. Like, I just couldn't see myself doing anything else. And, and I think that's important because, you know, this business is, it's so hard to break into. And for a lot of people, once they do get into it, they, it doesn't really 
own up to what they expected it to be. Like their expectations aren't <laughs> yeah. always met. And it's, it's grueling. It's a, it's a difficult lifestyle, you know, especially, you know, touring sound concert sound. It's, you know, you're working 16, 18 hour days and in not great conditions and you're filthy and exhausted and sweaty and hot and, you know, and, and you're getting on a bus and sleeping in a tube going down the highway at 80 miles an hour every night. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's a dream job, right? <laughs> so, um, you have to have something that's driving you, you know, to, to get through. And, and even just as you're building your career, as you're, you're getting through the, the paying your dues part of it, whether you're a musician or a tech or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, there's a lot of paying your dues while you're cutting your chops and learning your skills. And, and if you don't have a, a passion that's really driving you, I don't see how you're going to make it through that period because it's, it's tough. You know, you've got to have that fire and that you're that you're chasing after. Um, otherwise, it's just, it's just too easy to throw in the towel and say, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is too hard. That fire's visible if you go to Nashville. And as you said, for three weeks, you're knocking on doors and someone's every single person's like, no, nope, yeah, no. Nope. And it's like, well, OK, I got to rethink this. And it's just like you go back to like, what's my next step? Exactly. What, how do I refocus this? So when you were, you know, you were going in between. So you were working in Philly, then you were working in Florida. When did it make the move? When was your first where you feel like you, your entryway into that live engineering? What was your first gig? Um, well, I mean, I worked uh, my first real gig. My, my first tour um, was with the band Spin Doctors in 1992. And that's where I kind of felt like, OK, I'm finally on track here. Um, I had done a lot of live mixing up to that point, but it was all local, you know, at, at nightclubs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a friend, it was actually uh, and this is another thing about like the business is it's the networking. Like you never know where your job is. The next job is going to come from. And the the tour was offered to me by a, a classmate who, you know, from Full Sail, like a guy that we became friends while we were in Full Sail. And he knew how badly I wanted to go on tour. And he was on this tour. He he needed someone to replace him. And he offered it to me, you know, and, and it was just the right time at the right moment uh, or the right place at the right time because I started with them and a month, uh, like a month after I began, their album just hit Billboard Top 100 and they just took off and it exploded. So, you know, it was just like a great entry level for me into touring. And, and, you know, it was just a great, exciting time for the band and for me. And, and yeah, it couldn't have happened any better. How do you navigate through live mixing? Because I feel it's one thing sitting in your chair in a studio and sitting there and it's quiet. And then you're just like, oh, I'll tweak this here and there. But like live mixing, that feels like a completely different animal. Yeah, I'm in it. There's a lot of pressure. Um, and, and but to me, it was kind of once I, I started getting into live, I, I was just like, I, I did some studio stuff in between. And I was just like, Oh, my God, this is so I can't work on the same line of this song for 12, you know, two weeks. This is crazy. You know? <laughs> but there's like, to me, I, I kind of thrive on that pressure, like you have to get it right, because there's no redoing it, you know, and it's funny, like when you look back over your career, you see the lessons and the things that happened that made you ready for the next thing that came, you know, that you don't see when you're in it. But my when I started working for the Spin Doctors, I did I did one show. I mixed a, a club show. And the next day we, we started the uh, Horde tour, which was like a hippie jam band tour, festival tour, like a Bella Fleck and uh, Blues Traveler, um, all these, you know, the same kind of genre of bands. And mm -hmm. we were, I think, like the third or fourth band on the main stage. So this is back in analog days. You know, there was no digital consoles. This was everything was analog desks and no saving your file and starting from that. Um, so 
we didn't get a sound check. We basically had 20 minutes to roll our stuff on stage, wire everything up, and you know, just tap through the mics real quick and the headphones to make sure they were all plugged in right and then go. And that really taught me, it, like I was trial by fire. It was like, okay, you know, learn how to pull a mix together in one song because that's what you got because the set's only 30 minutes long. So you can't take 30 minutes, you know, sorting out drum sounds, you yeah. know? So <laughs> um, it was, it was really great because it, it taught me how to do that. Like it really taught me how to pull a mix together really quick, what's important in the mix and what's not and, and what to focus on to, you know, to get it sounding the way it should um, in a short amount of time. That's interesting. You said what's important, what's not important. What in that sort of scenario where it's kind of like, I've got to go. Like it's now. What it what do you focus on? What are the the core things that to you, if you were doing that on the fly, what is your ear listening for? Yeah, I mean the the, the main thing is like getting your gain structure right, um, right from the start. Because if you've got if you've got good instruments and good players, um, if you've got good gain going into your, you know, your preamp that's half the battle right there. You just usually need to bring up the faders and you've got a great place to start with. But um, I would focus on, you know, making all my, my sure my gain levels were correct. And then um, drums and vocals, because the kick and snare is kind of the backbeat. And as soon as people can't hear the vocals, that's the first thing you're going to get complaints about. So just make sure that's, you know, clear as, as day and your guitar is filling around it. Once I would sort out the vocals, making sure that they were clear and they sounded good, then I would focus on building a, a drum mix and getting drums dialed in because they usually take the most work. Guitars and bass, you can usually just bring them up and in without any EQ, they sound at least okay. They don't, you know, they don't sound terrible. And, you know, keyboards and stuff like that, you can usually just bring that up and as long as you can hear them, they're good. Whereas drums, you know, drums usually need a little bit of work to, uh, to sound good over the PA. So... Once drums are dialed in, I, I make sure the bass is sitting well with the drums and then, you know, guitar, keyboards, whatever else is there, making sure that lead instruments are, are you know, heard. And, um, and then when I have a good mix going, then I'll focus on adding effects. But effects, you know, like this always to me, if you've got a good mix, you don't need effects. And if you have a bad mix and you add effects, it just makes a bad mix worse. So I always kind of <laughs> leave that to the end. Oh, I feel like you said, especially taking drums, I feel like every single band that I was in, that was always in a live check. Drums were the longest. Hi, Tom. Tom, yeah. Tom. Lo low Tom. And then it was just like guitar. Doo -doo -doo, you're good. And it was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but to me, that's also cool. The idea that if you have a bad mix, no matter how cool the effect is, it's, I don't know, it's like icing a rock. It's just like, yeah, the icing's great, but it's right. still rock. Yeah. It's still going to be terrible. Yeah, and and that's, you know, unfortunately, like I see this is a, an issue these days with with, you know, so many plugins. Um like there's so many great plugins out there and I see a lot of people get gadget happy. Instead of focusing on building their mixing chops, you know, and learning how to EQ and learning how to set gain and and get good sounds, they're just trying to cover up problems with more effects and more compression and more this and more that. And you, you need to have a good mix before you start adding all that stuff. Because like you said, it just, it just covers it up and makes it worse. It doesn't, doesn't fix anything. It's almost like you're saying, learn the core, like the foundational things yeah. and all those, because there are, there's so many, like, you know, I get emails daily of just like, this is from waves. This is from UAD. Yeah. And it's just like, there's so many plugins and you can get like plug-in happy where you're like, oh, I've got to get this and this and this. But there's like, I probably I can open my computer and there's a core of plugins that I haven't even touched. Right. I probably bought that I'm just like, 
uh, I don't even know what that does. Like, what does this do? Yeah. Well, here's a, I mean, a perfect example. Like, I'll, I'll do a lot of um, talking to students and, and classes and stuff. And and I always get that question, like, well, what plugins do you own? And I shock people when I tell them, I don't own any. Like, I do, oh. I do all my mixing with the desk. Like, I, you know... I strictly use what's on the desk and, and I use the right tool for the job. And um, yeah, I mean, no plugins. Because uh, the biggest thing is I think I came coming from the analog world, you know, same thing, you know, before plugins, you just add more and more pieces in your signal path. And, yeah. you know, there's always, the more you add, the more problems that can arise, you know, the more room there is for problems. So I was always of a less is more, just use what I need, use the right tool instead of adding a bunch of stuff to fix the problem with the, the wrong tool. And then you have less of a chance of things going bad. And then, you know, you have, you're spending less money too, you know, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> and it just kind of carried over from analog days. So if I have a situation where what I have isn't, is, you know, not there's a problem that I need something to solve it, then I'll add a plugin. But um, yeah, I, I, I personally own no plugins. I just use what's on the you, console. You, you've done pretty well because I'm looking like, you know, as an independent engineer, like you've, you've done things with Indigo Girls, Jewel, Gwen Stefani, Kesha. I mean, Goo Goo Dolls, that is a wide variety, just like your record collection, yeah. your mom's record <laughs> collection. I feel like that's not one particular style. It's like, it shows the versatility of a good, you know, mixing engineer. Well, and, and it's funny too because, um, yeah, like my my background in mixing has mostly been rock and pop and and folk. Um, like I haven't done a lot. Of, I did country when I was working for sound companies and stuff like that. But like my touring experience has all been mostly rock and pop. But you know, that also is a, a wide variety. You know, there's punkish pop, and then there's you know mainstream pop, and then there's you know folk rock, and so. But you'll be surprised at how many people think that because you mix, like when I, I worked for Indigo Girls for about eight years and you kind of get typecast into this, oh, she just mixes chicks with acoustic guitars. And for years, like I kept getting, if it was a girl pop singer or a girl with a guitar, I got called for it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, all I want to do is mix rock, rock. And, you know, eight, I grew up on 80s metal. Like that was my thing. And I, that, that's kind of, this is what I wanted to do when I started mixing. And I had to fight for years to break out of that that um, stereotype of, oh, Michelle mixes chicks with guitars. I'm like, no, I want to mix a rock band. And it was funny because my friend, uh, fellow engineer Randy Lane, had been mixing the band um, Fuel for years. And mm -hmm. we used to, you know, he was like, God, I'm, and he, he mixed a couple of the G3 tours, you know, with Satriani and, and Steve Vai and that kind of thing. And we would lament to each other. He's like, I'm so sick of mixing electric guitars. I'm like, I'm so <laughs> sick of mixing acoustic guitars. <laughs> and um, sure enough, like about uh, at some point, um, he called me up and he was like, hey, Mr. Big is looking for a sound engineer. I'm like, oh, my God, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I talk about like, you know, rock idols. And, um, you know, and I, I finally I got the job and, and it was like my most favorite tour ever. Um, you know, but it's you get people kind of tend to think that you can only do one thing. And the, the truth is, if you can listen, if you know how to listen and hear, you can mix anything because it's all about listening to the music and, and you know, dissecting it and understanding how it goes together. It's not about, oh, she can only mix country or this guy can only mix, you know, rap or it's just being able to listen correctly. What you're saying being stereotyped, I heard Butch Walker talk about in his early days of producing bands, he had some hit singles with people and he was like, all I was getting was like 
Avril type style right. people all the time. They were just like that. Oh, that's what he does. He was like, that's not what I do. I can do a lot of different, like I just write songs and I just produce songs. I can do a lot more than just this. Yeah. Oh, and then you went on to found soundgirls.org. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's funny because, you know, I started probably in like the late 80s was when I started working in live sound. And at that time, there were very few women um, on tour and very few women in live sound, period. But when I started touring, one of the first, one of the only other women that I knew was Carrie Kyes, who was the monitor engineer for Pearl Jam. And she, I think at the time she was working for um, the Chili Peppers. And it was kind of strange because the Spin Doctors and Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam were all kind of the same genre, not genre, but like, you know, in the same circles, but we never, ever crossed paths. And we knew of each other for all mm -hmm. this time, but we never, ever met until 2012. We were asked to speak on a panel at the AES show. And it was five women in a live sound, like a, a Jerry Palumbo is a broadcast engineer, does um, the Super Bowl and, and NFL, like a... Uh, ESPN stuff and uh, Claudia Englehart, who is the tour manager and sound engineer for Bill Frizzell, Deanne Franklin, who'd done like a bunch of stuff like Spearhead, Sonic Youth, and Carrie and myself. And we had all met for the first time like five minutes before this panel. And all of us had been working in live sound for, you know, 20 plus years. And we were just kind of like, how did we, how do we not even know of each other, let alone having never met before? So we just kind of had such a great experience on this panel. Like just, we really bonded. And after it was over, we kind of, um, the conversation kind of kept going, like how nice would it have been had we known each other throughout our careers to have that friendship of other women in this business to fall back on just that support. And, you know, and like I, the business is male dominated, but I've had an incredibly positive experience. Like it's never been an issue for me. Sexism mm -hmm. does exist, but it's never held me back. And but there are there are definitely things that women face in life, you know, with uh, children and, and taking care of elderly parents and things that men don't usually deal with. And when you're on the road, it's kind of there's you know there's different challenges. So we just talked about how it would have been nice to have someone who understands what you're dealing with. And I had also been trying to find a way to reach out to young women and show them that, look, you don't have to be a guy to do this because I didn't have that when I was starting out. Like everyone told me I couldn't, not because I was a woman, but be just because this isn't a real job. And I wanted to let young women know that you don't have to settle for a traditional female career if you, if that's not for you. Like these are potential careers. You can, if you're creative, if you want to be involved in music, but you don't want to be a performer, this is an option. So Carrie and I just kind of started this conversation and that's where, you know, it led to sound girls. So we could just kind of reach out to the young, the next generation and, and give them the support that, you know, they need to, to get into this business. If that's what they desire, kind of make it a little bit easier for them than it was for us and, you know, do whatever we can to help. I love that because it's not only are you doing the thing, but you're going to others to get them to start thinking about like, well, maybe I can do that too. And you're going like, hell yeah, you can do yeah. that. You absolutely can. And I think in that space, because you also have an online course that when it's one thing, when people are hearing like, oh, this is how you do the thing. And it's teachers, they think of higher education and just like, here are the things, but to have people in the middle of doing it, like, you know, actually with the experience and knowledge and like, not only am I teaching you this thing, but I'm actively doing it right now as we speak. Right. 
that is a completely different set of teaching because that's like right in the middle of doing it instead of that formal style this is the space of kind of like alternative education that I think is fantastic. Yeah, and, and the, the cool thing is too, with um, with Sound Girls and, and with my course, um, we offer a lot of shadowing opportunities. So, you know, while I'm on tour, I'll, I'll post, you know, this is where I'm going to be. These are the cities. Um, and if women or anyone wants to come out and shadow me for the day, just to see if you're thinking that you might want to do this, come out and see what it's really like, you know? And, and so that's a really, um, it's really cool when you have people come out and, and, you know, just have like their eyes open to the, not just audio, but all the different possibilities of, of, you know, roles on tour and, um, just, you know, to see like, wow, like I could do that. Or I thought I wanted to do this, but that looks really cool. You know, like I want to be a video director or, you know, um, so it's really cool having that, that interaction with people who are, are just kind of trying to find their way into the business and, and giving them the opportunity to come out and really see what goes on. Cause I had even, you know, up until I did my first tour, I had no idea what happened on tour. You know, I didn't know how a, a, a day you know, progressed, you know, you, you think you know what happens, but you don't really have any clue until you actually start, get, you know, getting out there and doing it. That's phenomenal because I feel I learned the most when I shadowed someone. Yeah. When I was just watching it. It's one thing hearing about it, reading it on paper, watching a video, but to experience it and be present and watching it happen. It's it's completely different game because it's like, oh, that's interesting. Why did they do that? Yeah. And it's like, you can just be like, can I ask you, why did you do that thing right there? Because it made a huge difference, but I have no idea why. And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. It's because, oh, it's that just added to their little their little fact bank in their head and they store that away. Yeah. And th those are my favorite days is like when I get the, the kids who actually have really well thought out questions like they, they don't want to just come out there and you know, lurk in the shadows, they they have put some thought into like, this is what I want to know. This is what I'm struggling with. And how do you handle this? And how do you deal with this? And um, I love those days when it's actually like a teaching experience when you can share your knowledge and just, you know, say, well, that's one way you could do it. But here's another way. And they're like, Oh, my God, I never even thought about it. You know, and <laughs> now your your ebook that you have the five biggest mistakes you're making with EQ. Mm -hmm. How do you boil it down to five? Well, because <laughs> I'm sure you could go. <laughs> Here's many more. Yeah. Um, you know, well, that's the thing. Like, first of all, EQ is something that really mystifies a lot of people. Um, and that came about, you know, from just when I talked to students and, you know, different people who are getting started in, in audio and mixing, one of their biggest fears and challenges is knowing how to use EQ correctly. Now, how would you describe EQ to someone that is maybe like, I have no idea what you're talking about recording? What is like a basic description of what... EQing would be. So EQ is the manipulation of frequencies. And frequencies are the sounds that we hear. You know, it's just that you have sounds that are high pitched and sounds that are low pitched and every every tone has is its own frequency. So with EQ what you're you're doing is you're basically adding or taking away specific frequencies in, you know, the either the mix or an instrument um, to manipulate it to get the effect that you want to get something to sound the way you want or to clean up problems. Like if you ever are at a concert and you hear feedback, that horrible noise coming, like a, a shrill squeal mm -hmm. coming through the PA, um, that's a frequency. And um, you get rid of that by cutting that frequency with EQ. You know, you can make instruments sound warm and full or sound thin and um, harsh and bright. You can completely alter and change the sound of an instrument by manipulating frequencies with EQ. Then how do you boil it down to five? Because that to me is a vast array of different possibilities. 
that you could do sonically with your mix. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing with EQ is that there are some rules. I mean, it's a, EQ is probably the best tool that you can use for, for crafting a great sounding mix. Um, and there are rules for how to use it properly. And one of the biggest things is people think that, oh, well, I'll just keep adding, you know, frequencies. Like if my vocal needs to be brighter, I'll just add some high frequencies. But you're actually, when you're doing that, you're, you're um, adding some, some level to your, your signal, which could drive it into clipping if it's not done correctly. So there are certain ways to use EQ and there are certain rules that make up the foundation of what you should do and how you should um, use it. And there are certain things too that, you know, very simple things you can do with EQ that can create huge changes in, in a sound or in a mix that can be beneficial um, that a lot of people don't know. Uh, so they tend to use EQ the wrong way or they miss, you know, applying it in certain ways that can make, you know, a world of difference in what they're doing. I think that's phenomenal. So if folks want to get their hands on this. Where could they, uh, where can they get this book? Because this is wonderful. Yeah, they can find it at mixingmusiclive.com. Excellent. And you have an, uh, an online course as well. I do. Which I think is phenomenal because I, especially now, now is the time to put things into practice and start to like, if you're curious about this, this is the perfect avenue to start going down. Yeah. And, and the online course is called Listen, Master the EQ Techniques of the Pros to Create Brilliant Mixes. And, and that came from, like I said, like just a lot of students, you know, telling me how they just don't understand EQ. Like they know what it's supposed to do, but they really don't know how to use it. And also from a lot of my musician friends who have been, you know, taking this time to record their own music, like, well, you know, it's COVID, I, I can't do anything else. Yeah. So I'm going to get my home studio going and start, you know, recording all these songs I've been wanting to. But when it comes to mixing them, they're just like, I don't know where to start, you know, and they're, they're getting gear happy. They're buying all this equipment that they think is going to give them a great mix. And then after they spend all this money, they're like, well, it still sounds like crap. And I don't know why. And like, cause you're missing the point, <laughs> you know, you need to start with the EQ first. And um, so I just kind of wanted to, to put that knowledge out there. Cause I think a lot of people go about it the wrong way. You know, it's like, well, what can I buy or what can I add on here to fix something that can be easily, you know, fixed with EQ and EQ is part of every DAW and, and, you know, it's the most basic, um, it's on every mixer, every, every soundboard. It's, it's, you know, something that's sort of free, you know, you don't have to spend any extra money on it and it is the best tool for, for improving mixes. I'm huge into watching the Great British Baking Show, and I feel like terrible mixes are the equivalent of like Paul and Prue being like that has a soggy bottom. <laughs> that is not that is not good. It's just like, yeah. Had a, but I think that is wonderful, Michelle. I really appreciate you taking the time because your your background is inspirational. I think for a lot of people, you really debunked a lot of myths that you kind of have to live in a music city. That you got to keep on pursuing your goals. Even when sometimes people go like, no, nope, I don't think you can do it. If you believe that you can do it and you start searching those avenues and you keep going, you keep knocking on doors, you can do the thing that you really enjoy the most. Yeah. I mean, perseverance is huge. You know, you're going to hear a lot of no's before you get to that yes, but all you need is one yes. And I love the story about Colonel Sanders when he was, you know, going around the country trying to sell his famous chicken recipe. I think he, he heard no about a thousand times before someone finally bought, you know, the Kentucky fried chicken recipe and look where he is today. So what if he would have given up after 10 no's, you know, you just, you just got to keep going because eventually, you know, I just look at it as those, those no's are not where I'm supposed to be. 
So that's just pushing me to find the place that I am supposed to be, which is that person who says yes. Hey, songwriters, can I be honest? Your dynamics in your songs are awful. You're kind of like that loud talker in a restaurant. Everyone's looking at you and they're a little annoyed. You can do way better and you know it. You should be controlling your guitar, not the other way around. So here's what I want you to do. Go to songrangforguitar.com and head on over to the free mini course, Audience Engaging Dynamics. In that course, you're gonna learn how to control your playing, start to create distinction between your sections, verse, choruses, bridge. You can use this to your advantage. Your songs will improve, your co-writers will notice it, and the people that listen to your music they will too. So remember, go to songrangforguitar.com and click Audience Engaging Dynamics. That does it for this week's episode. It was edited and produced by Chris Vifalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>